Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hello, welcome everyone to New Beginnings Church Online for this weekend. I'd like to start the service off with reading a scripture to you from the book of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's ever been a time in the history of the church when the church has needed hope, when the people of God need hope to hold on to, it is the time that we're living in right now. I don't know um, uh, how we can proceed forward in restoration, in hope for the future, without us getting serious about some topics and about seriously taking some inventory in our lives, um, especially taking into consideration the events of the past couple of weeks, compounded by the events of the past couple of months. Or I could say, it was bad as it was. Now, with all of the emotional issues that uh, our nation, in fact, many nations around the world now, are having to deal with, we need to face some issues. We need to talk about, this weekend, the subject of forgiveness. I'm, I'm calling this this teaching today, for this weekend, forgiveness, the cure for the 2020 hate pandemic. And we as a church must come to the realization we have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're holding on to that hope. And that hope causes us to abound um, and causes us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit according to that scripture I just read. But we also need to come to a realization, the church, that we are under a well-planned, well-organized assault by the kingdom of darkness. Now, I am not talking about getting into conspiracy theories. There is no theory about the fact that the kingdom of darkness hates the church. That's not a theory. That is a fact. There is no It is not wrong for us to say that there is a conspiracy because we know there is a conspiracy in the kingdom of darkness to try to overthrow the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that you and I are in, in the church. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, which tells us there are gates of hell. Gates in the biblical sense of places of decision-making, places where plans are made. That scripture to Jesus, when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, if you look back in the Old Testament, the gates of any city was the place where the leadership met, was the place where plans were made, strategies were formulated. So it is not wrong for us as a church to say, yes, we are now the subject of a well-planned, or the object, I should say, of a well-planned conspiracy that was hatched in the kingdom of darkness. In fact, the the longer that you go as a saint of God, a child of God, uh, not wanting to realize that fact, the less equipped you will be and the less effective you will be. You can find yourself 
being beat up by an unseen enemy. So, first it was the virus that shut down major parts of the planet. And now our society is becoming obsessed with certain, certain aspects of our society. Becoming obsessed with taking vengeance on wrongs that were perpetrated by one group against another. It's not helping the situation by any means. Dr. Martin Luther King, a great man of God, said this. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And Dr. King recognized that the society of his day was in a spiritual battle. Strife, division, were leading to violence are always the result of spiritual influence. Okay, I want to say that again. Strife and division are always the result of a spiritual influence. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into that more. And the enemy of our souls, who has been studying mankind for thousands of years, knows that human nature will almost always react with hatred when encountering an offense, when faced with an offense. Jesus warned us that this tactic would be especially prominent in these last days. In Matthew 24, Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, which begins Jesus's, if I could put it this way, seminar on the last days. In verse 10, Jesus throws this set of principles into the mix. This is what he said. And then many will become offended, remember that, offended, and will betray one another and will hate one another. So so look at the pattern, look at the pattern. Uh, An offense presents itself whether it's an intentional, what's an intentional or not, because sometimes we can offend people and not even realize we're doing it. The next step when an offense is taken is betrayal. Traitors show up on the scene. People turn on one another. Uh, people that they originally trusted, all of a sudden you, you don't trust them anymore. There's a betrayal, there's a speaking against, there's a condemnation against, and then the final result is hatred. We start out, even in our human relationships, one to another. When an offense takes place, uh, if you're offended at me, you're more likely to betray me. If you don't catch it at the betrayal stage, then what will result is, is, is hatred. And if you don't believe me, go and sit in on a court session involving a divorce where you have two people who were previously head over heels in love with one another. And all of a sudden, one or the other party gets offended, or both get offended. If they don't catch the offense in the conception stage, what it gives birth to is betrayal. All of a sudden now, one spouse or the other is going to get on the phone or going to start meeting with family members or friends and betray the deepest secrets of the other individual. Once that process is in motion, what what it gives birth to is hatred, full-blown hatred. So you could have individuals, you may be one of them right now, where you're, you're either the object of someone's hatred or you are the source of hatred towards another individual that you once loved, that you once shared a bed with, that you once raised a family with. But because offense was not snuffed out, now it has resulted in full-blown hatred. It's not too late, though. It's not too late. Because we understand from the Scriptures that forgiveness is the only way to neutralize the power of offense. And all throughout the word of God, we see that theme over 
and over again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. New Living Translation. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Very plain, very clear. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Again, New Living Translation. Get rid of all bitterness, and there's a lot of bitterness right now in our society. Get rid of the rage, the anger. There's a lot of rage, there's a lot of anger. There's harsh words, there's slander as well of all types of evil behavior. And we're seeing because of the bitterness, because of the rage, because of the anger, because of the harsh words, all types of evil behavior are exploding on the scene. Verse 32 says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. A definition of forgiveness, a good, really good practical definition of forgiveness could be giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. And let's just be real honest with each other. It is impossible to live on this planet in its fallen state without getting hurt, offended, misunderstood, lied to or lied about, and rejected. It's impossible to live on this planet and not be faced with the opportunity to be hurt, to be wounded, to be offended, to be lied about, to be betrayed. It's going to happen. If you live long enough, it's going to happen. Obviously, God knows how damaging it is to us, and he understands what an obstacle it is to his will for our lives. And and what else are we here for? As, As believers, as Christians, as children of God, we are here on this planet Our goal should be to fulfill God's plan for our lives. And when we get involved in unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness, it throws an obstacle in the path of God's plan being fulfilled in our lives. Unforgiveness is so damaging to the Christian. We know that. We know that. And let me tell you one of the reasons why the Bible speaks about unforgiveness in so many Uh, stark, obvious terms. It is because God knows how damaging it is to you fulfilling his plan for your life, to me fulfilling my plan for my life. Unforgiveness, turning to hardness of heart, exhibiting bitterness, rage, anger, grudge holding, just puts the brakes on God's plan in our lives. We can't go forward without settling these issues. And so knowing how damaging it is, I want you to grab a hold of this. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about the importance of forgiveness. It is so important that Jesus connected the teaching on forgiveness to every major doctrine he introduces. Matthew 24, getting ready to talk about the last days, the end times. What does he talk about? Offense. So that we would not become offended and be able to, and still be able to be discerning, be understanding of the times that we're in. Unforgiveness blinds us. Bitterness and hardness of heart blinds us. And the last thing he wants is for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days to be undiscerning, without discernment, to be blinded, to be deceived. And yet one of the very first things that he talks about, Matthew 24, when asked by the disciples, what is the sign of the times? He mentions deception. He said, see that you're not deceived. He said, make sure nobody deceives you. Why would that be so important? Because he needs 
the church, he needs you and I to be very aware of our surroundings, very aware of what's going on in the realm of the spirit, very aware of what the intentions of the enemy are. And I'm not talking about enemy. I'm not talking about flesh and blood. I'm not talking about other people. People are not your enemy. You have a devil. You have Satan who is your enemy. And he uses people and he sets them against each other to bring division, to bring strife, to bring every evil work. That's why it's so important for us to walk in forgiveness, not just talk about it, but to walk in it, to conduct ourselves in such a way that we forgive. Every time Jesus revealed a major doctrine, he attached forgiveness as a major priority. Major doctrine, major priority, forgiveness. Number one, Jesus does a teaching on prayer. Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we stop there. And we say, this is the Lord's prayer. I've prayed the Lord's prayer. But look at verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Lord's Prayer. The pattern of prayer that he gave us to change the circumstances on this earth so that they would align with God's will in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And forgiveness is thrown right in there. And he's, we're told, if you don't forgive from your heart, you cannot expect to receive forgiveness. That's serious. Major doctrine on teaching. Number two. His teaching on faith. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus speaking said, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not, not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And we're very happy to stop right there at verse 24. Prayer faith. It's going to move mountains. Going to remove obstacles. Verse 25 is connected, the same context. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You want to be a man of faith? You want to be a woman of faith? You want your faith to operate? Yes, we want to pray. We're going to, we believe that we receive whatsoever we say when we pray in faith. Good. Try doing that while you're in unforgiveness towards someone. It doesn't work. Number three, remember? Remember, what we're talking about here is every time Jesus introduced a major doctrine, he connected forgiveness to it. Number three, the prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, verse 15. Again, why is this so important? Because the thing that is going to deflate all the anger and all of the rage and all of the violence and all of the animosity that we see in our society today is forgiveness. You and I need to know what the Bible says about forgiveness. It is not a feeling. 
It is not an emotion. It is a decision that you and I make intentionally to set into motion a process that will bring freedom, that will bring peace, that will bring shalom, calm, stability. You and I need to know exactly what the Bible says and how important forgiveness is. So we've seen already when Jesus introduced the, the, the Lord's Prayer, we call the Lord's Prayer, teaching the pattern of prayer, he, he emphasized forgiveness. When he introduced the doctrine, the teaching of the prayer of faith, faith that will move mountains, he connected forgiveness to it. Now, when he teaches the prayer of agreement, that powerful principle of when two, at least two people come together, agreeing on a certain thing, that we can be guaranteed that it'll be done for us by our Father in heaven. By our Father in heaven, he connects forgiveness to that same context. Let me read it to you. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Here we go, offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by the two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person like a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. That's a whole other, that's, that's a, that's a whole other teaching right there. What does it mean to treat somebody like a pagan or a, tax, or a corrupt tax collector? Do we not pray? for the pagans, for unbelievers? Do we not pray for those that are corrupt? Do we not do our best to try to reach them? What he's saying is, change your tactic at that point. Doesn't mean to isolate. Doesn't mean to, to denounce. It doesn't mean to excommunicate. What it means is this. You change tactics with that person. You don't put them on, on the side and hold a grudge against them. You pray for them. You reach out to them as if they were unbelievers, okay? Verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. We would say whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you permit or loose on earth will be permitted in heaven. 19, verse 19, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three, are ga- two or three gather together in my, as my followers, I am there among them. Two or three have gathered together in my name, Jesus said. I'm in their midst. That's verse 20. He's just taught how to deliver discipline amongst believers, major doctrine. He's just taught the prayer of agreement. That if two, at least oh, just two people touch anything as it pertains to something here on earth, that that agreement, that bond together of our faith reaches heaven and changes things. In the same context, Jesus goes on to teach in verse 23. He is now going to give an illustration that's going to support what he just taught about forgiveness. Verse 23, same chapter, Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Verse 25, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and children and everything he owned to pay the debt. 
Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Verse 28, this man now has been forgiven millions of dollars. His life has been preserved. His wife, her life, her freedom has been preserved. His children are not going to be slaves for the rest of their lives. This debt's been wiped out, forgiven and wiped out. But when he left the presence of his master, he had a change of heart, or I should say the true heart came forth. Verse 28, but when this man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Remember, he's been forgiven millions. Now there's somebody that owes him just a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor, the man who had just been forgiven millions, wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. Verse 31. The story's not going to end good. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Verse 32, then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Verse 35 says this. This is Jesus speaking now, not Pastor Joe. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow, what a different picture. How timely. How appropriate. Who are we to hold a grudge and unforgiveness against anyone? But you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you. But I do know this. We have all been forgiven a tremendous debt by our Father in heaven, most of which will never come to light. The secrets, dark secrets of our lives have been washed away by the blood of Jesus, forgiven. We've been released from its punishment. Jesus having taken the punishment for us at the cross. What, what audacity for us to hold something in comparison minor, to hold something against someone else after we have been forgiven so much. But you don't understand how that person treated me. You don't understand how, how my family for generations has been mistreated. Granted, it's traumatic. But why do you want to continue this pattern of bitterness and rage and frustration and violence when you have the power within you to forgive, to cleanse, to wash away, to have a fresh start. It's because of the will of God for your life and the plan of God for our lives that causes Jesus to make a big deal about forgiveness. Jesus lets us know that if we refuse to forgive, then we really haven't grasped our great need for forgiveness. 
or how much God has forgiven us. And thus, in our pride, we have really not truly repented. We have not truly repented. But when we have our eyes on the cross and the pain and suffering that Jesus went through, in order to forgive us, in order to cleanse us, in order to restore us in relationship with God, no matter what has been done to you or done to me, there is no comparison to the payment that Jesus made on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. Philip Yancey wrote a book. Many of you have probably heard of him. He's a famous Christian author. What's so amazing about grace? He makes this statement. At last I understood in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting God. I am trusting that God is a much better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must be balanced for justice and mercy. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Because we are saying, if there is any punishment that is needed or any giving of mercy, God will look after it just fine. I know for some of you right now, you're, you may be watching this and saying, I can't let go of it. The pain is so deep and the pain has gone on for so long and the injustice has been so wrong. Granted, you're right. It has been but leave it in God's hands because God restores us. God heals our hearts and heals our emotions. And God can redeem your life in such a way is that you rise above the loss. You rise above the injustice. You rise above the limitations of the past. You rise above the pain, the hurt, the bitterness, the rage. And you become a force of restoration. And to me, that is so much better vengeance against the enemy than to be con to con continuously used by the enemy to perpetrate and to propagate more of the same vicious cycle of injustice and hatred and frustration and rage and depression, sadness, disappointment. Let him restore you but you release forgiveness. Make a decision to forgive. Be intentional about forgiving. Be intentional about handling the thoughts when they come back, when they try to come back. When, you, when you're faced with someone else's story similar to what you've been through and the thoughts are going to try to trigger that anger again, trigger that offense again, trigger that bitterness again. You're going to need to be intentional about forgiveness. And, and let's be honest. Let's be clear with each other. Forgiveness is not saying that it's okay now. And then going back into abusive relationship or setting yourself up again to be hurt again. Forgiveness is not saying, okay, well, it really wasn't that bad. No, no, no. Forgiveness is not a denial that a hurtful situation exists. And it isn't denying the fact that your feelings are hurt, your emotions are bruised. Forgiveness also does not mean that you accept the behavior that caused the pain to begin with. No. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Just, just you're going to put the person in 
condemnation of guilt for how they treated you. Do not be overcome by evil, the word says, but overcome evil with good. Finally, let's realize this. The very first instruction that Jesus gives to the newly instituted church has to do with forgiveness. John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with great joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and here's the first instruction the church receives after they're born again. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so we go around saying, you know, yes, we need to, we need to preach the gospel. We need, to, we need to go minister to people and minister the gospel and preach the gospel and teach them about grace and teach them about God's love. Jesus said the very first thing you need to do is go tell them they're forgiven. He placed all the emphasis on forgiveness. We must forgive those who have hurt us because God commands it, because our own forgiveness hinges upon it, and because it's the best thing for us. When we refuse to forgive, the, the bitterness begins to grow in us like a cancer, and it eats away at us. It causes stress and, and illness and a lack of joy. The only therapy, for, only therapy for this cancer is the surgery of forgiveness. What, why surgery? Because you have got to cut out that need to avenge. You've got to cut out that, that, that source of anger and hatred and bitterness or it's going to destroy you. When we refuse to forgive, we allow the sin that was committed against us to hurt us twice. Once when, we first sinned, once when they first sinned against us and again by keeping us from receiving God's forgiveness. We need to stop that pain and we need to stop the, and, and we need to stop the pain, stop the hardness of heart, stop the walls being built between us and be intentional about it so that we can experience the beauty and the fullness of the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us. When we, forgive to, when, we, when, we for, when we refuse to forgive someone else, it is an automatic gauge that is telling us we have not fully grasped the forgiveness and not fully grasped what it cost Jesus for you and I to walk away from our sins. Jesus, in the ultimate act of forgiveness, from the cross, some of his last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And sometimes, in order for us to activate forgiveness, and I hope you're listening to me, and I hope you let this, this settle into your heart, in order for us sometimes to experience forgiveness, In order for us to be able to release it to others, we have to activate forgiveness. 
And how do we do that? By receiving forgiveness ourselves. If, if you're the type of person, and I believe I'm speaking to some people, you haven't forgiven yourself. You haven't received forgiveness from God. You said the prayer. You asked Jesus to come into your heart. But you haven't really allowed the fullness of his forgiveness to just wash over you and free you and soften your heart. And sometimes I'm willing to admit that it's sometimes it's easier to forgive someone else than it is to forgive ourselves. Sometimes I think that may be a manifestation of pride. I think that we're something special, but our sins are so much greater than others. Yet the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standards we don't measure up to. So, so if, if you've never, if you're in the place right now, I'm speaking to you, where you've never personally received the forgiveness of God, you've said a prayer, but you didn't grasp it. I pray right now for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every individual that's watching this. And I pray, Father, if there are some that are holding things against themselves, they just can't shake the fact that they fell in that area and they just can't get free from it. Father, I pray that there be an overwhelming move of grace and just wave of grace right now would just flood over that person that they would be able to see themselves forgiven, washed and cleansed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive yourself. Let it go. Yeah, yeah, you did it. You did it. But it's done now. Jesus has paid for that. God has forgiven it. He's wiped it away. Don't allow the enemy to keep bringing it up. Don't allow the enemy to take something from the past and affect your future. Don't let them do it to you. Forgive yourself. Move on. It happened. It's done. Move on. Get free so that you can release those in your life that you're holding grudges. Let them move on with their lives. Let them be free. And let that effect, let it just have a ripple effect and go throughout all, all of our society. And I pray that as many people as possible, please share this so that many people as possible can hear this message and can, can receive forgiveness so that they can activate forgiveness from their hearts to others. And let's watch how it affects our families. Let's watch how it affects our neighborhoods. Let's watch how it affects the very atmosphere of our communities. Forgiveness is the cure for the 2020 hate pandemic. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.